Big 10 Plus 4 is a member of the Odd Pods Media Network. Hey there, welcome into Big 10 Plus 4, where we share college sports with a Midwest perspective. Blue collar and blue blood dalton shetler here and sam sprunger what's going on my man you know i i still have to admit that that music just gets me dancing in my chair with it being early in the morning it's kind of nice i was gonna say it puts a you don't need coffee <laughs> when you have the the parsons project why would you say something like such hateful words like that dalton you don't <laughs> even need coffee what i don't even know you I was going to say, I'm already on cup two. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, we got a lot of different things to go over here in this show. Yes, and I think it should be a lot of fun. Uh, we got some Big Ten basketball. Basketball is really heating up. And we had a classic in Champaign that featured Sam's favorite team. So we'll be talking about that. Also, uh, we have a, a pretty interesting conversation that uh, Sam, I think, is going to be learning with the listeners a little bit here. Uh, we're going to be talking some Big Ten rivalries in this show. Oh, wow. So I get to learn about something. So it's not, <laughs> uh, it's not about just one rivalry in particular. We're and, and more specifically, if we narrow this down, we're going to be talking about which is the best big 10 basketball rivalry. And I'm assuming an argument and a food fight is going to break out yeah. in the middle of this one. So yeah. stay tuned. For I that. may hang up. <laughs> <laughs> that makes for a great podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and later on, we'll be Especially talking since I'm recording. <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, we'll be talking some football later on as well let's start off with basketball though sam yes. big 10 basketball the boilermakers go on the road to champaign illinois and what i assume and i believe is i, I think believe is the correct word here it's the best big 10 basketball game we've seen so far a double overtime win mm -hmm. for purdue over illinois two two overtimes and and you know what uh, an interesting thing i saw and uh, I don't know if you saw this, but the game was on Monday at noon. At noon. <laughs> okay. Because of, of the holiday. So no big deal on that one. But what it was is when they started the game, it was seven number seven Purdue against number 25 Illinois. And in, I think, eight minutes into the game, the AP poll came out. So they adjusted it and it was four against 17. Made it better. Yeah, which, by the way, I do believe that's the first time I've ever seen a game where the poll rankings changed in the right. middle of the game. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an unusual thing. I'd never seen it before. Yeah, that was uh, that was certainly something. And you take a look at Purdue, what they're able to do in this one. Zach yeah. Eady, of course, had 20 points. Uh, Sasha Stefanovich came alive. He had mm -hmm, 22, 22 points, five of eight from beyond the arc. And this is somebody who kind of is one of the X factors for this Purdue team. I mean, you, you look at the Boilermakers, you know what you're going to get out of Jaden Ivey. This is a potential lottery pick, and, and you're going to get some amazing playmaking, some spectacular finishing. He had 19 points in this one. Struggled a little bit from the floor, actually, 3 for 10, but he went 13 for 15 from the line in that win. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, you know what you're getting with Ivey. You know what you're getting with Travion Williams. He had 14 points and 7 boards and 5 assists in the win against Illinois. For the most part, you know what you're going to get against or with Edie. 
but you don't know about some of the others in Stefanovic who came into the season with some outside criticism that maybe his shot doesn't travel with him on the road as well silenced a lot of doubters with this win well at least for the time being right and so um, I'm going to make a comparison Dalton and I don't know if you'll be impressed agree disagree don't know so Stefanovic if you hear about the times when Purdue struggled and when they lost he wasn't really a big part of the scoring output so Mm -hmm. what I'm what I'm seeing is is he is much like Dexter Fowler was in 2016 with the Cubs when Joe Madden walks up to him and says as you go we go Dexter Fowler's not the best player on the wasn't the best player on the team but he set the tone so Stefanovic kind of steps into that role to where he can, if he, if he produces, Purdue's going to win ball games. I like that, but y- you know, what's interesting too. I would argue there's maybe two of those on this Purdue team. And, 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 and that may be, but, but uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I cut you off. No, I like the <laughs> analogy nonetheless. And I think it's accurate, but the, uh, somebody else who I think it kind of goes as he goes and their ceiling changes when he plays well is Mason Gillis on yes. this team. Now, granted, he only had four points, four rebounds, but the point is much more so about what he brings defensively to mm-hmm. this Purdue team, which and it's is kind of like struggle. Yes, absolutely. So you have Stefanovic who came and played really well, and you have Gillis who, who absolutely maximized the minutes. He was out there for 43 minutes. Now the, the box sheet isn't full, but again, he fulfilled his role in this one. Well, and, and those, those people that are game deciders, you said, you know what you're getting from Williams, Edie, Ivy, you know what you're getting from those guys. And it's, you know, it's not always in the box score when you decide how a game out it, outcome comes, you know, or it mm-hmm. ends. So I think that if he's playing strong defense, even if he's not stealing the ball, you know, taking charges, whatever, he's disrupting the offense of the other team. And it was a big win for Purdue as the Boilermakers stay alive in the Big Ten title hunt. Not that they would have been without, but boy, three losses compared to an undefeated Illinois team is that's a um, lot of ground to gain. Three three losses this early would Correct. have been really bad. Correct. And, um, and, by the and way, I, I will say, sorry to, to catch off there again, but uh, um, you know, I mentioned last week that Purdue had those pieces in place that could stifle Kofi Coburn and I think they did a really good job getting him in foul trouble and getting him out of the game so they could control the game tempo and and things like that I didn't watch the whole game um but yeah I that I just they are proving me right at least for once at least for the time being (laughs) well and and to piggyback off of that before I shift us over to to something else with Purdue uh for some of the listeners who may not watch a ton of Illini basketball Kofi doesn't often get in foul trouble Mm-hmm. This was new. I mean, and, and you're absolutely right. Purdue put him in that spot with their bigs and just their mass. Well, between and I, Edie I, and Williams. I, I don't know that uh, aside from maybe like Ohio State that Coburn's going to go against big men that are as talented. And that's what they were Ooh. able to do. Oh, we can argue on this one. Oh, I'll we? throw in there Trace Jackson Davis from Illinois. I think you're right. EJ you you? from Ohio State. Yes, IU. Thank you. Boy, I was, I had the Illini logo in front of me. That's a Fruidian right. slip. Um, nonetheless, um, you, you take a look a, a, across the rest of the Big Ten, and 
I'm, I'm trying to think. You have Ryan Young, who doesn't get a lot of love at Northwestern. Um, <laughs> the big thing is Purdue's got a lot of the bigs really in this Big Ten conference. But Trace Jackson Davis, I guess, is the one I really want to throw in there. You, you, know, you know what's funny is I threw out that statement expecting some sort of retort, but you rattled off like six. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, okay. and honestly, I was going through my head, and, and Hunter Dickinson from Michigan, that's who I was trying to grab. Hunter yeah. Dickinson from Michigan absolutely qualifies here too. And I'm um, not saying that they're not. I just, you know, uh, it's Liddell, right? Uh, from Ohio, Ohio State, State, yeah. He, I, I, I had a chance to watch him again, and oh my gosh! So like, I could see him really throwing a a, a stick in the spokes for Coburn as well. I mean, it, and that it's was that point. was my that was my only. After that, I was kind of like, who are the big men? And I was going through the people, and I'm like, nah, I'll stand by it. And then you well, just the, railed me. For the first time in a few years, we don't have Luca Garza to worry about as a Big Ten conference. So that's <laughs> well, kind his of kids are coming part. up. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, real quick though, before we leave this Purdue Illinois game, I know we've sat here for a moment, but Andre Curbelo, I think it's important to note too. This was his first game back for the Illini since November 23rd. He had been dealing with some different head, neck injuries, some concussion-like mm-hmm. symptoms. He dropped 20 points in this game, and as you mentioned, Kofi Coburn fouled out kind of early on. If they didn't have Curbelo in that game, they don't go to overtime and double overtime. He made plays down the stretch. And this is something interesting because we saw the Illini start to finally gel over the past month and a half while Curbelo was out because, you know, as teams do during the grind, they come together, they start to feel each other out. And it was going to be interesting, and it's going to be interesting still how Illinois deals with Curbelo the rest of the season because. He's insanely talented, a great playmaker, but how does he fit in with the system that's been created for Illinois this past Monday? He fit in great and Underwood was able to manage it. It'll be interesting to see how he kind of handles those puzzle pieces the rest of the way, because it changes the dynamic. It doesn't make them worse, but it changes the dynamic. Well, and, and with Coburn being on the bench, there was only one Avenue, like you were, you were relying on him it was reliant on him for the game to go. If you have both of them, you've got to manage it a little differently. So both of them are, are participating in, in the offense. And those guards for Illinois, they can shoot the ball. I mean, Frazier, Plummer, I mean, they, the Williams, they've surrounded the perimeter with guards that can absolutely stroke it. And uh, Curbell is quite the playmaker. So it'll be fun to see, but Hey, I want to throw two stats out from this game. Uh, Jared Burson on Twitter, which, by the way, he, he's a stat researcher at ESPN, does phenomenal work. Check, check him out on Twitter. Uh, he tweeted that Purdue led for 43 minutes, 29 seconds out of the 50 played in that game. And it's Purdue's first double overtime road win since who and when, Sam? Oh, goodness. Double overtime. <coughs> Excuse me. Road win. <laughs> yeah, road win. Oh goodness. Now, now ask, answer me this. Okay. Give me this one caveat. Is it, is it before the year 2000? Yes, it is. Okay. I want to say, was it a conference game? It was. Okay. See, there's 20 questions. I like this. (laughs) Um, I'm going to say it was. 1996 against Wisconsin. 
You know what? You're pretty close. You have the opponent right. It was at the Kohl Center against the Badgers, but it was 93. Ah, not bad, huh? I was going to say, I, I <laughs> got half of it right. I take that in. Well, I remember some some uh, pretty tough games in Wisconsin back in the 90s. That's why I was like, well, I was thinking Brian Cardinal, but it was actually like Glenn Robinson's sophomore year. Good enough. Good yeah. enough. I, yeah. I like the way you got down there. Yeah. Um, the other stat I'll throw out from the Purdue game, uh, this was from the Big Ten Network. So Purdue has won its last 111 games when it scores at least 90 points. 111 in a row when scoring 90 or more. Do you know the last time they lost when scoring more than 90 points? Oh, gosh, I want to say uh, – I. Mm. See, By the 90s. way, I would never get any of this. Like, there's yeah. no way. It's pretty impossible. I, see, that's just it, though. They don't score 90 a lot. Like, this is a new trend for Purdue putting on points. Mm-hmm. It's usually the other way. So that makes me want to go back to, like, I know there was a Michigan-Purdue game in 94 at Mackey Arena that was extremely high scoring, but I don't think they both made it to 90. But that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go Michigan and 94. We're going to go back even further. Oh, geez. November 24th, 1987. They lost 104 to 96 against Iowa State. So there, the more Good you know. Sam. Lord, and that, <laughs> that wasn't an overtime game? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it's pretty up there. But 111 yeah. in a row for Purdue. That's it's pretty it's impressive. impressive. That, I, what was the year again? 1987. 87 so i would have not yet been i was seven years old <laughs> i'm gonna say a lot of this was pretty impossible trivia again to be completely fair well but still yeah okay well i and see that purdue michigan game in in Mackey was high scoring but i want to say it was like 85 84 or 83 something like that you know it was so it was close yeah. to 90 but not quite there well, and real quick here, before we move to the next segment, uh, yeah. something else I want to talk about since we're into Big Ten basketball right now. We talked about the classic that was in Champaign. Uh, let's move over to the team that I'm heavily interested in, Michigan State, because the Spartans dropped at home to number, or excuse me, they were number 10, but they dropped at home to unranked Northwestern. Very uh, unranked Saturday. Northwestern. <laughs> That's right. Which, by the way, there, there's actually a stat out there, a metric, believe it or not, called luck, where they, they weigh the expected outcome versus what you actually produce. Mm-hmm. And Northwestern's one of the last in the country. So it's not as much about Northwestern not being good, but mm-hmm. there's a st- it's statistically backed up that they're unlucky. Uh, okay. However, you want to you want to use that to measure the Wildcats. Um, but nonetheless, and, and they did it without Pete Nance uh, for Northwestern, which is kind of amazing because he's the leading rebounder and the leading scorer for this Wildcats team. Big part of what makes him go uh, for Michigan State. Right after the game, you heard head coach Tom Izzo say. Disappointing, yes. Surprising, no. Mm-hmm. And he said this team for the last five games it's been trending to this spot. This group isn't rebounding the ball as well. There were several offensive rebounds given up to Northwestern and turnovers continues to be a big issue with this Michigan state team uh, where the Spartans had 17 against the Wildcats. And these aren't turnovers in transition like you normally have with Michigan Mm -hmm. state. Um, So it's, it's a lot of just 
loss of focus type of deals. And Northwestern ended up with, I think, 14 or 15 more shots than what Michigan State got in the game. And Michigan State loses by two. I mean, that, that ends up clearly being the difference in these games. A big part of it, Sam, the team we talked about a ways back, the Michigan State group that went down to the Bahamas and beat UConn yeah. and Loyola Chicago and, and battled with Baylor through the first half, that team is different than the one we're seeing right now. And that's a big concern. The, the promising side about it is we've seen this Michigan State team, this group of individuals, this roster, perform at that elite level, especially defensively. And now we're not quite seeing that same tenacity, maybe is the best word, out of this Michigan State group. And it, it comes down to a couple of individuals and the production you need out of them. And you really start to look at somebody like Marcus Bingham Jr. at center, uh, who didn't play much of the second half against Northwestern. And I, I believe Izzo even was quoted saying it was effort-related things. He just isn't going to watch somebody walk around. But the, my point overall being, if Michigan State wants to compete and be in the race for a Big Ten regular season championship, if they want to make a run and a push at a, a deep run in March Madness, this group has to get back to the way they were playing in November. Yeah, yeah. And we kind of talked about it last week with Michigan. You know, there's something going on in there that's making them produce the way they are so at such a low level comparatively to what they should be, correct? And I would say that Michigan State's going through it in the same season where they were playing pretty, I mean, they got to number 10 for a reason. They didn't just accidentally get there. And mm -hmm. so they were doing something right. And now something's happened and we don't know, obviously, exactly what's going on. It could be personal, whatever. It does, we don't know that. But my point is, who better to have in place to, to take care of that than Tom Izzo? Um, I would take him over Jawan Howard. And it's not necessarily because I don't like John, Jawan Howard or anything, but Tom Izzo's done it for many years and has been able to show that he can take a team that is struggling and turn it around. And, and a lot of times it's in March when he does that, you know, <laughs> so I would, damn. I would take Tom Izzo. I think it, I'm gonna, it, if it's going to heal, it's going to heal. He's going to whisper. I'm going to whisper this. So not everybody hears this. Okay. We don't need everybody to know this. Yeah. This is part of the Izzo formula. I mean, yeah. this is, this is what Izzo does. And yeah. we've seen it time and time again, season through season. And, and I mean, like he's meeting with the press and he's saying, you know, his team is getting fat and sassy. The players are reading the press clippings. It's kind of the whole Nick Saban rat poison thing. He's actually even quoted that and referenced that <laughs> he, he truly believes. Well, they know each other pretty well, don't they? Yes, they certainly do. Both were <laughs> coaching these Lansing at the same time. Um, but he, he truly believes that this team has lost its identity that it was in November with that tenacity, that ferociousness, that it was really just kind of competing its tail off. And uh, yeah, to your point, he's done this time and time before where he's been able to take a team in this situation and bring them out the other, the other end. And I, I will see if he's able to do it again, but uh, we've seen before in this year, this team is capable of playing that way. I, I have to imagine Izzo is able to get him on the right track, but we'll see how long that takes too, because Michigan state, there's no time to play around Friday right. night game at Madison, Wisconsin against number eight, and then Tuesday night at Illinois. Uh, so it does not get easy for Michigan state, especially if they want to keep their title hopes alive. Well, uh, but 
and you Go know ahead. real quick before we move on i know we got to get moving to the next segment but uh um what i was going to say was you know you talk about you know practice you you develop your habits and everything in practice and most of your lessons are taught there and games are just showing off what you've what you've perfected in practice it shows that tom Izzo doesn't care that it's a game and you know the effort he's going to teach even in a game and bench they're you know they're uh, bingham right yep. is that what and in the middle of the game for effort related purposes if it means anything to that young man, it's gonna he's gonna take that to heart. He's gonna turn stuff around. Yep. And and, and again, this team's ceiling is high with mm-hmm. Bingham producing at his highest level. This right. team's ceiling drops if Bingham is not able to play at that level. I mean, that's just this the simplicity of this roster and the nature of it. They need Bingham at his best for this team to be its best. And that's why Izzo did what he did to in a game. He was willing to take a loss in order to prove a point yep I so like we'll it. see I uh, we'll see how it turns out but uh let's move over since we've talked both michigan state basketball and purdue's purdue basketball I, I think we're about to have a fist fight over the best rivalry in big 10 basketball oh buddy all right obviously the two best that come to my mind and i'm not sure that i'm really missing anything that should be in this conversation indiana purdue and michigan state michigan I think now, those are, are the we two only, best rivalries. Are we only going Big Ten? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Specific okay. to Big Ten, or else I just want I just want Ten. listeners to know that we're only, but they'll have the option to you know tweet over their their favorite overall if they want. But we're going to talk I, Big Ten. Yes, yes. We're going to talk what we know. Well, and and the thing is too, IU's got another great rivalry, but they never play in it. It's the IU Kentucky game. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would love to see that one come back. Wish those two schools can make that happen, but I digress. Indiana, Purdue, <laughs> Michigan State, Michigan. Uh, your thoughts on? I'm assuming you believe Indiana Purdue is the best rivalry in the Big Ten. Let's say it this way: Well, growing up, while um, Glenn Robinson was at Purdue, and you had four of the Fab Five at Michigan, and Sean Respert and and company at Michigan State, right? Those mm-hmm. are the four. Those are the the team set up. Um, I don't recall such a huge production of Michigan, Michigan State. And I it was it was a, a super Tuesday on ESPN, whatever, Purdue IU, whenever they played, they tried to get it on a Tuesday, or it was a featured game on CBS on Saturday if they played Saturday. You were seeing it. No, that's not to say that Michigan State and Michigan weren't at the time a big rivalry, but I didn't see that nationally being as magnified. Now, fast forward 20 years, things have changed a little bit to where Michigan's gotten more um, in the national limelight than uh, they were back then, but Michigan's dropped back and now they're trying to get their way back. So I personally have seen Purdue kind of, tread water were a dumpster fire for a couple of years and then and then got back to to where they're at now and iu you know i you're never going to hear a really positive thing from me about iu so we'll just leave it at there in bloomington indiana um i, I and legendary coaches yes three of the four in my mind and and i don't consider steve fisher a historic legendary coach i don't know if what your thoughts 
are on that, but I don't when it comes to his time at Michigan. So to me, Purdue IU has the history with the legendary coaches. Now, Michigan State has legendary coaches, but they weren't in the national limelight as much as Purdue and IU at the time when I was growing up. So that's my uh, argument, my my noob argument of why Purdue IU is the better of the two rivalries. Well, but I, I believe your argument has substance. And I think maybe this argument can really be separated into two different eras. Sure. Because I could, if you I go, could agree with that. If you go back to Katie and Knight, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's that is that is the epitome of Big Ten ball. One of the most memorable college basketball things, the events that happened during a game happened during a Purdue IU game, and that's Bob Knight throwing a chair across the floor. That's right. That's absolutely right. And I need to remember, I used to have this as a trivia uh, question. The man who was at the free throw line uh, when that happened. It wasn't that pander. You missed, it was, it was a different year. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> I, I can't remember who it was, but uh, we, we, I know we've actually had conversations with him in the past and we've heard his story of what it was like seeing the chair fly across. Well, when especially when you're not even paying attention to the coach, like you're not <laughs> paying attention to what's going on there. You're getting ready to get the ball. Right. And all of a sudden yes. a chair goes flying. No, I, the reason why I said that was somebody tried to tell me, well, it's Matt Painter at the line. I was like, no, it wasn't. That was in the no, 80s. it was Matt Painter was in the early nineties. Get it right. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I, I'll try and look that up and see if we can get an answer on that soon. But I, I if circling back to this, this conversation, because yeah. really it's turned more nuanced than an argument. So I'm sorry, listeners at this point, <laughs> I, I think you might have to get a refund on your heavyweight tickets, but nonetheless, uh, Michigan State, Michigan, if you look at the last decade or so, Michigan State, Michigan has, I believe, eight Big Ten regular season championships between the two of them. Indiana, Purdue has five. Mm -hmm. Uh, You take a look at look at the Big Ten tournament. Now, I don't put a lot of stock into the Big Ten tournament, but I I find this fascinating. Um, You obviously last year, Illinois gets the win. 2020, we didn't have one. 19 Michigan State won. 18 Michigan won, 17 Michigan won, 16 Michigan State won. I mean, the Big Ten has been kind of running through the Mitten State in the last decade. And then you also take a look at Final Fours. Michigan State and Michigan, since 2009, have a combined six in uh, that, that span where Indiana and Purdue have zero. So I would say nationally, this is a rivalry that maybe means more today uh, I mean, if you take out that that history context that you're talking about, mm-hmm. because I mean, the, the, this these games really matter and have championship implications. And also you have the fact that and this is going to make you smile. Purdue's beaten Indiana nine straight times. Yes, they have. <laughs> but I mean, there's there's a lot more balance in the Michigan yeah. State, Michigan side. Now, of course, you go on spurts like the 2019 season, and this will make me smile where Michigan State swept Michigan three times in, in a yeah. row. And oh, this is one of the, the greatest stretches in the history of MSU basketball. Michigan State goes on the road, knocks off a tough Michigan team at the end of February. Cassius Winston has a day of 27 points, eight assists, I believe is what it was. Uh, Izzo in the locker room called it one of the best wins he had, he had had at that point. Then you fast forward to March 9th at the Breslin Center, and Purdue had already one earlier in that day on March 9th. And that claimed them a share of the big 10 championship. They, they became 16 and four, a record big 10 championship. Let's just put that in there. Oh, you sound like a Yankees fan. I hope you know that. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> yeah, I was going to say that really hurt your soul. I've, I know I've got to hang my head on something. <laughs> Come on. But Michigan State and Michigan meet that night at 15 and four. It's a game winner take all or winner share with the Big Ten champs, Purdue, uh, between Michigan State and Michigan. The game was tipping off, I think, around 8 o'clock, and students in the zone were lined up at 4.30 in the morning. I mean, oh, it was Lord. absolutely insane. Michigan State uses a 25-4 to run to beat Michigan. Uh, it's, it's senior night for Matt McQuaid, Kenny Goins, and them, and they get to hang a banner as, as Michigan State wins there. And then they go to the Big Ten tournament eight days later on St. Patty's Day and use another second-half run to beat Michigan. That span was incredible. But my point overall is, you have these two programs that actually are closer to each other in distance than what Indiana and Purdue is mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Indiana Purdue is about a two-hour drive, where I think uh, Michigan State, Michigan's about an hour, maybe even just under. So it's just down the road. You have these two teams that are playing a lot of times for championships in the Big Ten Conference. But even the bigger point I want to make to you, Sam, is this is a rivalry that transcends just basketball. This is what makes this one unique. It's a hell of a football rivalry, too. Well, Purdue and IU have a bucket that they fight over. They do have a bucket. <laughs> but, <laughs> but my point, again, being Michigan State and Michigan has had a lot of games that determine Big Ten championships yeah. in football. Indiana, Purdue, obviously not so much. I, I, in, like this year, Michigan State, Michigan meet, and it's a top 10 game. Yeah, and if it wasn't for Purdue uh, and Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State would have had an argument to be ranked above Michigan. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, and you're absolutely right with that. I still too. don't understand that reasoning, but I, I just have to think they're throwing, pulling names out of a hat. <laughs> they have no um, rules to play by. They can do what they want. But I can't think <laughs> of many college rivalries, and we can even go outside the Big Ten borders now, that transcend that do the both such sports. a high level. Yeah. Yeah, because, and, and this may sound odd, but you don't hear about the Army-Navy basketball games. Right. And if you did, then I would say, okay, maybe, maybe we've got an argument. But, like, all these rivalries that you think about on one side, you, you, you've got to think about the other side to see, you know, does bas do they have this rivalry in basketball? Or if it's a basketball rivalry like uh, Duke-UNC, is it on the other side in football? And not many of them are. Mm-mm. And honestly, even in the Big Ten, now, obviously, these two schools don't like each other still, but I don't think it's to the same degree on the hardwood, Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, I, it's not the same. You don't hear uh -huh. uh, you don't hear um, either of those coaches saying or um, Altman. Is it Altman? Altman, Altman? Yeah, Holtman. Yeah. Holtman, not Altman. I see. That's why I asked. I was like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> it's early in He's the morning, Dalton. But, Indy kid, he played at right. Taylor University and then went to Butler. Right, and but but what I'm getting at on that is you don't hear him leading up to the Michigan game, him not using the letter M or saying you know the college up north or the place up north. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's as as yeah they don't like each other. You're right, you know, <laughs> but it's not the same. So I are we uh, are we in agreement that Michigan State Michigan is the best across? Both football and basketball? Oh, no. Purdue IU is. Okay. <laughs> and with that, we'll hit the halftime break. How's that, Sam? <laughs> You've got to remember, I'm a homer here, man. Come on. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let, let us go to break. 
You're listening to Big Ten Plus Four, hosted on Anchor. I'm Richie, a.k.a. Midnight Agent Raw. I'm Devin, a.k.a. Special Delivery Dev. We're the Super Media Bros Podcast. And each week, we give a comedically informative take on movies, music, television, pro wrestling, and much more. Check us out at supermediabrospodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that you can listen to podcasts. Shades on. We're off. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm Richie. I'm Little Matt. And here in the 500 Section Lounge, we are three dads who host a family-friendly weekly podcast. Yep, we laugh, we go on tangents, and we talk to great guests. Tangents? I, I don't know what you're talking about with that. You know, there are gases leaking. Uh, all right, all right, okay. Yeah, we have legendary conversations from sports to history and everything in between. So be on the lookout for what we do next. And always be there to grab, grab a listen. listen. Gosh, that Sam guy in that five hundred yeah. lounge sounds sounds kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. So we uh we, we're gonna shift over to college football now, and and specifically with the Big Ten. And we did want to go back to something we put out on social media. Which, by the way, Sam, you got to let the people know where they can find us. Yeah, you can actually find us on the Twitter sphere at uh, at Big Ten plus but you have to spell out plus so big 10 plus the number four so that's where you're going to find us on twitter you can also find us on facebook uh, just look up big 10 plus four and it will pull it up and uh, that's where you can find us reach out to us uh, at the time being you can also send us an email if you really want to you know that's so 1990s if you if you archaic yeah but you can send it to big 10 plus four spell out plus so big 10 plus the number four at gmail.com and uh, send us your thoughts because uh, sounds like uh, Dalton's wrong on his argument saying that, uh, <laughs> you know, Michigan state I in Michigan is, is better, but uh, whatever. Yeah. No disrespect yeah. to the bucket, no disrespect to the bucket, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, please do engage with us. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, and if you disagree with us, that's absolutely fine. We would love to be able to hear Just some don't of call your us guys names. <laughs> Sam's a sensitive guy. I am. I'm. I'm a big dude, but I, I'm a softy, so it might hurt <laughs> my feelings. And then I'll be on here all crying and stuff. And then Dalton's got to carry it and just <sighs> see what you're causing. Makes, makes for a tough podcast. <laughs> it, it does, doesn't it? Go, go get a breather. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll move forward. <laughs> um, but moving to our social media, uh, Sam posted earlier this week from our Big Ten Plus Four account. Yes. How do you want? the playoffs to look going forward because we talked last week. If, if you heard last week's episode about the college football playoff expansion and the stalemate it's currently in and Sam listed. All right, here's, here's your setup. Do you want four teams, eight teams, 12 teams or BCS go back to two, which I love <laughs> that option. Um, the results. It, on we this, actually had people vote for that. I, honestly, I was looking at it and I was tempted to to get into it. And I was like, you know what? I can make an argument for two. I, I, I and, could too. Well, maybe we'll do that in a minute. But the majority <laughs> did say eight teams moving forward for the playoff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 69% of the people that voted said go with an elite eight. You know, uh, I, and I personally would say eight. I could make an argument for all of these, but 
I personally just think it's eight because you've got those power five and then you have the group of five and two wild cards. I think that's a, a, a really good setup. It doesn't add too much to the, to the, to the playoff, but yet it covers its bases, I guess. Well, and I suppose the college football playoff is kind of stuck in this small conundrum because a lot of times and a lot of the conversations is simply, hey, especially nowadays, we're not necessarily looking for the four most qualified. We're looking for the four best. Mm -hmm. We're trying to put together a good product and a good playoff uh, game for ratings and whatnot. We want the four best teams. It's not the four most deserving. It's the four best, which rubs me kind of raw. But if you go by, by the four most deserving, then you might end up in a situation where you have some blowouts in these playoffs like we already do. And so my point, Sam, is when you get to these these automatic qualifier conversations, I think we both agree because we like the, the purity of sports mm-hmm. to be competition and it should be most deserving. So we like the idea of you go to an eight-team eight system and the, the Power Five Conference champions, not the best one correct, from each conference, but the one who wins the championship moves on. If the champion is not the best team, then that best team will get a wild card. Yeah, that's I how mean, I feel. I mean, unless it's uh, like the number five conference of the power five, you know, that year, let's say the Big Ten is the number five rated, you know, in, you know, of their champion or their best team is just not good enough to get in there. Then it wasn't meant to be this year, you know, when your championship. And, and that's, that's just it, Sam, like the beauty of March madness. And there's a lot of, of great things about the NCAA tournament and basketball, mm-hmm. but one of them is, Oh, you're on the bubble and, and you missed out. Don't complain. You mm-hmm. could have won the conference tournament. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even about the games and it coming down to the resume. You win your tournament. You are in, it can't mm-hmm. be any more simple than that. If you are feeling dangerous, close on the bubble, Win your games and you yep. go win. And in football, we don't have that kind of setup right now. You can win your games and not get in. Cincinnati was flirting with that this year. And that's <laughs> honestly, they're not the first. I mean, there's been many Cincinnati's in years past that haven't done it. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, it's it, it, that's why I see eight teams as being the best way because you don't have those flirting teams like that top five automatically gets in or the group of five top rated group of five automatically gets in that's an automatic bid so they have their seat at the table the power five have their seat at the table and then let's say the big 10 and sec both have a really good non-champion boom there's your playoff you know um or or however you want to you know figure out the wild cards but i would say just make it it's a wild card that means in the ratings whoever's seven and eight they're the wild card teams at this time one of the writings, the rules for one of the wild cards is if Bama didn't win the SEC, they get a seat here. <laughs> that's just how that's going to work because Alabama's just that good. Um, but no, so we both agree. Eight teams were with the people on this one, 69%. Uh, I, I, we, we all agree eight. Four teams, the current system, actually got 15% of the vote. That was the second most. Yeah, and, and it kind of caught me off guard a little bit because I personally I don't know that I 
four teams, it's, it, there's too much question. You know what I mean? And yep. you're going to have questions at every level. You put it at 12, 13, and 14 are going to complain or, you know, talk about why they should have been in instead. You're going to have that everywhere, but there's always more to me when it comes to that four team. You've got multiple, like 10 or 12 teams saying, we had a right to be there. No, they make up their own rules. Come on. Yep. <laughs> No, it's, it's true. It's absolutely true. I, I almost, I'm with you. I'd prefer 12 over the four. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to have complaints, but it's not going to be as much. And, and you're looking at maybe on campus venues for, for 12 yeah. teams. Like mm -hmm. I think 12 is far more intriguing than our current system. Um, but I'm also curious to hear this too, because I found myself going back and forth on this one uh the bcs uh got what seven or eight percent of the votes yeah. in the poll <laughs> and yeah, pretty pretty low um i i continue to find myself in this bit of a conundrum because the college traditionist in me says one thing the competitor says another and so i want to get your take on this because the competitor in me says let's have a system a landscape that sets up and allows for through due process of, of championship playoff games that we get the absolute national champion. Like that's a part of me that says, absolutely. It, let's, let's open the door. So everybody gets to play each other and we'll see who's the best. We'll put it out there on the field. The college traditionist in me says traditionalist, traditionalist. Yeah. Be traditionalist. Yeah. We, we <laughs> fixed that one up. Polish yep. move on. Um, no editing in this. You heard it. <laughs> That's right. Um, but the, the college traditionalist in me says, you know what? The higher priority should really be on the rivalries and the regular season should be maybe more important than a playoff at the end of the day. And let's get back to a Rose Bowl that featured a Big Ten champ versus a Pac-12 champ where these end of season games meant something. Mm -hmm. So I, I find myself going back and forth between those two. Where do you land? Well, you got to, uh, here's the thing. I agree. I, I wouldn't, I, the idea of the BCS, I like the idea, you know, you know, the saying of sometimes theories are great in theory and that's where they should stay. Yep. Um, right now that's in, until somebody comes up with a, a morphed theory that includes human, um, uh, voting and things like that along with the computer because if i remember correctly the bcs was strictly computer based yep which is why you had florida winning by 70 to try to stay in the top two or get to the top yep. two so um you've got to have those two components morphed in together to where the humans can outrule the computers and vice versa to get those top two teams now if i remember correctly there was a debate back in uh, while well, it was still BCS, when Michigan and, and Ohio State played, they were one and two. And, 2006? Yes, there we go. And Ohio State beat them. The question was, because the BCS hadn't come out, will it Should be a rematch? rematch? Yep. And there was debate back and forth. But, but if you went by what just people said, the general consensus was, yeah, they should replay. They're the two best teams. It was a seven-point game, so it was a good game. Right. But then a couple years or maybe even the next year or a couple years down the road, um, LSU-Alabama, they had the rematch. <laughs> yep. And 
and if I remember correctly, LSU won the first time they played, and then uh, Alabama, I think, blew their doors off or something, but it, it, it wasn't as good. So, but they went strictly by computer. Yep. Whereas if you have a human aspect of it, maybe you can get, I love the one versus two, that's it. Let yep. the let the Rose Bowl be, go back to tradition. Uh, that's just me being a, a a homer, I guess. Um, but I don't see Purdue making it to the bit to the. I don't see him making it to the Rose Bowl here anytime soon. But uh, <laughs> um, if it's part of that that playoff, I just really absolutely don't see it. You know, it would be my luck the year that they actually got a New Year's Six bowl game. It'd be no offense to the Peach Bowl, but the Peach Bowl because the Rose bowl was hosting the stinking national championship or whatever, you know? So right. <laughs> it, it would be something that I would get, you know, I, I like that tradition, but I'm a traditionalist like you. See, I said it right. <laughs> there you go. Uh, plus one for Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, so Take and, when I can get them, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, I, I think the rivalries, the tradition, all of this, the pageantry is what makes college football unique in the regular season. Oh my, I, you can't afford losses. It, every right. game matters and it's such a special system. And I wonder if we've infiltrated and diluted it too much with a playoff and an absolute, like kind of, I go back cause I'm a little Jekyll and Hyde with this. And there is a competitive side of me that says, Absolutely. I want to see who is the absolute national champion. This is awesome. But, I love me a tournament though, too. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean. I, I love that aspect, but I think it's directly interfering with what has made college football awesome for all these different years. And that doesn't mean college football is going away or it's not sure. as special, but in some regards, it isn't as special. The Rose Bowl is not the Rose Bowl. Like there are areas where this is not as good. Yeah. Yeah. And I had no offense to Utah, but I didn't, it, it was the best of the new year six bowl games this year, but no offense to Utah, but they're not a traditional pack 12 team or pack 10 team. Right. So it just didn't like, seem, and, and don't get me wrong. Even if it, we went back to the BCS setup, it would have still been Ohio state, <laughs> Ohio state and Utah. Yeah. It would have been nothing like if uh Rutgers could win the big 10 and we'd have a, <sighs> a Rutgers Utah Rose bowl. That'd be or, uh Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. We're really going back traditionally there, huh? Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, real quick, before we, we get to our last segment, uh, you had seen a stat that you wanted to bring to the table earlier on this week. Yes. Um, and it grab flexed my phone. Nick Saban's muscle a little bit. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep going. I was going to say, I, I actually have a here. If, if that's oh, you do. Yeah. I'm, pull, do. I'm pulling it up. Go ahead. So Alabama and North Dakota State have obviously been ruling D1 football and D2 football for a little while now. And Isn't since, it FCS now? And yes. FBS or something like that? Yes. That's, that's yeah. It's that's, not Division that's I and 2 anymore, Dalton. That's so <laughs> early 2000s. The traditionist of me, right? <laughs> that's right. Traditionalist. If, if you missed earlier in the podcast, you wouldn't get the inside joke. You're outside. Well, I'm hoping um, they heard the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Alabama, <laughs> North Dakota State since 2011. Uh, both programs have had two first-round quarterbacks drafted. Uh, North Dakota State has won nine national titles. Alabama's won five. Alabama's overall record is 140 and 14. North Dakota State's is 149 and 12. And the championship game record for Bama is five and three. 
North Dakota State, 9-0. and Both extremely impressive, but Sam wanted to pose the question, which is more dominant? Yeah, because, you know, I mean, if you, if you do the math, Dalton, over that time span, North Dakota State averages 1.2 losses a year and Alabama 1.4. So you're, you're dealing with teams that are often undefeated. And my question of dominance is, is, you know, which is more dominant because you've got Alabama that's doing it at the, I don't know the initial, so division one level and yeah. uh, North Dakota state doing it to step down, but does that affect the dominance? Does that decide the dominance? So you believed we're going to have the same answer, but for different reasons. So here's where I, I stand with the ecosystem that is the FBS level where there's billions of dollars flooding around college sports consistently in all these different programs and campuses. The fact that as ever changing as the landscape is at the FBS, that Saban's been able to stay atop that mountain where people are able to, to leap the entire mountain with just a one booster can make a mm-hmm. difference like that. That's impressive to me where the FCS level, I think a lot of those variables don't exist at the same level in programs for the most part stay kind of even keel. There aren't these spikes that you see at the FBS because of resources. So uh, to me, the way Saban's been able to handle this landscape, that's more dominant. Okay. Well, I thought it was going to be different, but it's, it's pretty much the same reasoning because what I was going to say is why Alabama is more impressive is because they have all that money now. So do the other, and they get their pick of who they want. And whereas North Dakota state, while they have their pick at the, at that level, they still don't have the same resources to be able to go out and go after a, a low level blue chipper. Maybe you know, like, you know, one of those that might be flirting with somebody big name that all of a sudden decides they're going to North Dakota state. Um, right. Alabama has got that money to where they can throw, um, you know, they, I don't think there are any regulations on how many recruiters a school can have, or, you know, how many, I know the contact has to be limited, but I think they, they did. I mean, they just have that resource to be able to go out and get the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Whereas North Dakota state has to, kind of be like, okay, this fits into our system. Let's go with him. Maybe he'll develop, you know, um, yep. absolutely more dominant at the, at the North Dakota state level because nine and zero in 10 years for championships. I don't care who you are. That's, that's really impressive. That means one time they weren't in the championship game once. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Alabama is more impressive because of, and they're not the only school that has, that money so there are a lot of schools going after those same players and alabama seems to be getting them more often than they don't yeah i you nailed it on the head everybody and they go in in ebbs and flows yeah i mean alums boosters can show up one year at at some different program and all of a sudden it makes a difference there so look at charlie badge offering a million dollars for caleb caleb williams to go to eastern michigan yeah, that's uh, maybe that's in a next week's show that we talk about this this NIL yeah. deal and what's yeah. currently going on because woof, yeah. there's a there's a lot of gray area happening in college sports. Yeah. Not even gray; it's just flat out gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems um, like there's a little bit of white and a little bit of black and a ton of gray in there. 
Uh-huh. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much everything's um, gray. Yeah, right. <laughs> we just colorblind. Yeah. Um <laughs> nonetheless, let's uh move to our last segment and take a look at the headlines before we say goodbye. Hey, by the way, for the people who've been with us all podcasts, uh, a callback to earlier in the show, we were trying to recall who was the free throw shooter for Purdue when Bobby Knight threw the chair. Steve Reed. Steve Reed is the answer. If you had Steve Reed on your bingo cards, you get to mark it off. There you go. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So if you don't have a bingo card, well, make one up. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, The Sam Sentinel. What do we got? Well, I last week talked about uh, a gentleman at Iowa that uh, uh, used his name, image, and likeness to raise some money for the children's hospital there at uh, on the campus at Iowa. Uh, this week, I'm going with a champion, Dalton, a champion. Um, I'm sure if it hasn't already, it will develop into a name, image, and likeness deal. Uh, but uh, the quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs, Stetson Bennett, went to just a couple of days after they won the national title against Alabama and Indianapolis. He went to a Raising Cane's chicken restaurant and worked the drive through in Athens. And so what he was doing, and of course, they didn't people driving through did not know. And he hands them their bags. And, and it was, it was, it was heartwarming that this kid was able and willing and wanting to do this for the fans, because that makes those fans weak <sighs> or, or they could be telling their grandchildren, Hey, I met the guy that won that broke the drought in, in 21 or in 22. And you know, that that's something that he's giving those fans because of who he is, he was able to get that, that, that ability to work for the, just for a promotion. And I think it's awesome that, that some of these kids and Stetson Bennett may not ever be anything after being at the university of Georgia, but he knows what it means to the people that watched him help end that drought. And I just think it's awesome that he would be willing to do that. And uh, it, it really, truly, if you, if you find the video, just type in Stetson Bennett working drive through and you can watch some videos of him working through the drive through and all these people just like freaking out and loving the fact that and taking selfies and all that. It, 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 it's fantastic. So uh, good job on that. Yeah. I, I thought that was pretty special too. And the video I saw uh, he's, he's running the cash register mm-hmm. and he says, okay, your total will be 3318, which Happened to be the score of the national championship right. game. That was a pretty cool video to see. What I would have loved to uh, see him ha- see it happen is he says the total and then he audibles to a lower <laughs> to a lower nut amount. That's a great idea. They should put that in the works too. Um, <laughs> real quick, uh, looking over at the Dalton Daily, um, I'm going with an idol immortalized, and what I'm working with here is up in East Lansing on the campus of Michigan State University. It was announced uh, earlier this week that on the drive with Jack, we should mention as well, that um, it appears Michigan State is in the works of getting and erecting a statue of Duffy Doherty 
uh, outside the football complex. Now, for some of the listeners who may not be familiar, Duffy Doherty helped coach, not helped, he did coach Michigan State football back in the 60s. And Michigan State went through a golden age of football in 65 and 66 in those years uh, where feature teams with legends like Bubba Smith, George Webster. You remember Bubba Smith from the Police Academy. Uh, that's yeah. a, a good one if, if you're not totally into the history of football. Uh, Gene Washington, who went on to play with the Vikings for a long time, uh, Jimmy Ray, and the big part of everything, everybody I just named, and there are more as well, uh, they were all African-Americans. And Michigan State at that time was one of the first schools to fully integrate yeah. where they would have black athletes on their football team. Jimmy Ray, uh, a black quarterback. And that wasn't something that was happening at that time. But Duffy Doherty, and he was challenged on it. He received a lot of criticism. Uh, a lot of people were pretty fired up about what he was doing and creating in East Lansing. And he stuck with his gun, said, no, this is the way. And uh, this, this is how they, they proceeded. And I've had conversations with people like Jimmy Ray, and he was telling me, you know, he's from uh, one of the Carolinas, and he couldn't play ball and, and go to school yeah. in his home state. They, they rejected him. And so many people with stories like that, Bubba Smith and Gene Washington were both from Texas. They all found their way up in East Lansing to play for this man who decided he was going to make a change with Michigan state university and make a change in college football by fully integrating his team. And now Duffy Doherty, who's already uh, been, been immortalized in different ways. He's been on the cover of time magazine at one point. Now it looks like he's getting a statue. And I, I think that is a really classy move by Michigan state university. He decided to go with the best Jimmy's and Joe's and color be damned. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and he led this, 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 what's a good word for it? And it revolts, not the word, but it, it this, this different evolution, type. evolution would probably be a, a, a good way to put it. And it meant more than just winning games in football. It changed society. It, it broke through the barrier and Michigan state absolutely led the charge there. And Duffy Doherty had a, relationship with bear bryant i was literally just getting waiting for the break in your speech for me to mention that i thought you had an interesting story yeah and and so bear bryant obviously at alabama wins a ton of football games but he can't have black players on his team because it's definitely wasn't allowed at that time by uh, the institution by society and so as the Duffy Doherty was starting to do this, yeah, no, you're right. And, and as Duffy Doherty was starting to do this in East Lansing, uh, Bear would be like, hey, I got a kid down here that I can't use, but you could sure use him. And so Duffy Doherty would have built that relationship with Bear Bryant and, and built this, this empire of a team here in East Lansing. Uh, and it really changed again, like as we said, not just winning for Michigan State football, but it changed and, and broke a barrier in college football. And I, I thought that was super special. And mm -hmm. I should mm -hmm. mention it was Michigan State Athletic Director Alan Haller on the drive with Jack, who, who said that they're in the preliminary stages of that. So really looking forward to that. And can I, can I kind of uh, piggyback just a touch on that? You know, if you're sitting there thinking, Bear Bryant, well, why didn't he just say, I don't care what you guys say, I'm taking the best players. Um, it's really easy to say that, but I'm sure being in the region that he was and that the school that he was, that if he did that, he'd be fired. 
So he can't make a change if he's no longer in a position to make a change. So he was doing it from the peripheral to get these, these obviously very talented athletes into the sport and then point at Michigan state and say, see what we're missing out on. And so he was doing the change, but by, by proxy basically. And there was a game uh, because this is shortly after now where Duffy is winning all these games in the sixties. Bear Bryant had scheduled a game in the, I think, early 70s. I was trying to pull up the exact date mm-hmm. against USC when USC had a bunch of black players on its team and had uh, started to, I mean, go through that barrier as well. Mm-hmm. And Bear Bryant scheduled a game against USC and absolutely got waxed in that game. I mean, USC took it to Alabama in that game and, and it really just destroyed them. And mm-hmm it made people kind of open their eyes like, Oh, look, this is uh, it's, it's getting in. The, and this is sad that this is how it had to attract people and, and appeal to people, but right. this is getting in the way of us winning football games, us, us being stalled here in this way, in this mm-hmm. realm. And so bear Bryant said, look, here's the deal. And that's when finally people really started to come to again, not really endorsing the way it all had to happen, but nonetheless, no. It was it was uh, really interesting that Bear Bryant would take an embarrassing loss to prove his point. Mm-hmm. Well, and and like I said, you know, if if he just says bucks the system and does it anyway, first those students aren't getting into Alabama. They're not letting them in. They're not going to be accepted, so they can't be students. And you're probably going to lose your job. So you yep. can't make any change when you're in that position. So um, it's it, and and I don't have any reason to be like standing up for bear Bryant, but it just kind of rang through that. I'm like, well, you know, I know there'll be some responses of, well, he should have just done it anyways. He was, it was just yep. not the direct route. Yep. No, you're, you're spot on bear does deserve some credit here. And I did pull it up. So I believe if I have this right, it was 1970 on the nose, oh, okay. um, September 12th, Bama beat you or USC, excuse me, beat Bama 42 to 21. And that didn't happen in Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama too often, but it did that day. They went to Alabama and beat them by three touchdowns. And that's probably with a couple of, uh, or at least one kind of late catch up touchdowns, you know, where the, the twos mm-hmm. and threes are playing against each other and Alabama maybe scores one. So it was an all white Alabama team. I'm just finding more details on it. And uh, it's credited that game specifically with Hastings the racial integration of football at Alabama and in the South. So yeah, that's, that's pretty special. And uh, a long Dalton daily for a headline. How's that? That's all right. Well, Sam chimed in. So that made it a little bit longer, <laughs> but it was cool. I, I, I think yeah. it, it oh, yeah. deserves attention. So I, I I'm on board with that. Um, okay, Sam, before we say goodbye, anything else you want to bring up or let the people know where to go? Hey, go anywhere you find your podcasts and uh, type in big 10 plus four podcast and it's 10 the symbol plus the number four so that's our title uh put in podcast it might might decide whether or not you find us i guess but (laughs) most of the time if you've if you search big 10 plus four it'll it'll find us um you can also go to good pods if you uh if you want to download the app and uh, check us out there follow us get notifications of new uh, episodes 
You can rate our episodes. You can share them out to people on there. You can share them out on any social media if you want. We do. So, uh, yeah, Good Pods is a good place. Hey, we're up to number four this week in look sports. At, look at us climbing the charts. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid of heights, though, so. <laughs> Maybe we'll stay here for a moment and see. Yeah, yeah, it's a little shaky. All right. <laughs> Uh, nonetheless, for, for Sam Sprunger and myself, Dalton Shetler, we're really happy to, to have you with us. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Take care from the Big Ten Plus 4 podcast. See you later. <laughs>